and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And we're really excited to be here today. This week, we're talking about choosing patterns. Right. Where do you get the instructions for the things you're going to make? (laughs) (laughs) So... In the last, I'm going to go ahead and say decade and a half, there's been a revolution in the way knitters access their patterns. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Interweb. Interweb. And the shift has been in some ways gradual. It a little bit, I think, depends on when you started knitting is how you became accustomed to accessing your patterns. Back in like 20, I want to say it was like 2012. I was down in Atlanta for a conference and I went to eat, sleep, knit in their old location. And there was a room of binders. Oh, the three ring binders? three ring binders. So if you've never been to eat, sleep, knit or been to their website, they have a ton of yarn. And in their old location, it was like a big kind of a shoebox space. It was or a train car space, but like a big, long, narrow space. Mm -hmm. And then off to the side, there was a room that... I kind of think, you know, fully a decade later was also a kitchen, but there were just big D-ring binders, like three or four inches thick on shelves. And if you wanted to pick a pattern, you picked a binder, maybe at random, maybe they were organized, I don't know, and just start flipping pages until you see something. And then everything was in those little plastic sleeves. You pull out a copy of the pattern Mm -hmm. you want to knit and... There you are. Yeah, I think that for a long time, that's how patterns were made accessible to people. You went to a shop, you got a cardstock or Xeroxed piece of paper from the plastic sleeve, and you know you paid five bucks for it and brought it home and prayed you didn't spill coffee on it, right? Or you know lose a page, or that you didn't write too many incomprehensible notes all over it in case you wanted to knit this thing again. Right. You weren't like intensely crossing out lines as you did them and then you had to frog it or something. And oops, now I can't read the first 46 lines of my pattern. Right. The other way I used to get my patterns when I started knitting was from books. At like, Which I <laughs> know, sound, raise an you eyebrow. You so hesitant when you say that. Like I've said before, like I was, I didn't have a community of knitters around me. I didn't know what I was doing, but was excited about this thing. And sometimes once I had discovered my local shop, I would go there and they had, you know, Rowan's publication from whatever season it was. Right. And I was like, okay, great. I'll get that and knit something from it. Or I went to Barnes and Noble and bought the knitting books that were available because I was excited, but that meant I had like a book about baby hats and a book about knitting stuffed animals. And like, I didn't have babies and, (laughs) (laughs) and didn't specifically have a need to knit teddy bears or chickens or something, but those were the books and I was enthusiastic. So that's what I got. And maybe at some point someone I would know would have a baby and I could give them these tiny hats I was making because it was something to knit. And so your access to patterns was a little bit happenstance. Like if you wanted to knit a sweater, you either had to hope that your local yarn shop had a pattern in a binder that you liked or that you already had a pattern in a book that you liked or that you happened to have received a copy of a magazine. Vogue or 
Interweave or, you know, those publications. And then in, is it, was it 2005? Was Ravelry and Google at the same time? Or I should say Ravelry and Gmail, were they at the same time? I, I don't know. I do know pre-Ravelry in 2002, Nitty. Oh, came right. on the scene. Let's let's give some props to Amy Singer here. Yes. Who for me at least like I feel like she was our internet pioneer in bringing patterns to the fiber community in a way that was like accessible. The patterns were free. It was something exciting to look forward to quarterly and there were a range of things. You know, it was a small curated collection, maybe a dozen, maybe 20 patterns, but there was like a hat and there were socks and there was a sweater and a cowl and maybe a stuffed animal or a bag or, you know, there were things. And then eventually like Nitty Spin came into it. So there were projects written for hand spun, but it was like this great evolution of like what new design is. And it wasn't, you know, like designs from Vogue or designs from Rowan. These were indie designers, people who were coming up with these things. And, you know, how else would I ever find them living in southern Minnesota and not being part of a vast knitting community? It was the internet and it was like wilds and like such an opportunity for growth. Well, right. And not only as a consumer, as the end user, having access to patterns. But what ended up happening was that the increase in digitally available patterns for the knitters also meant that there was a channel by which designers could get their patterns in front of knitters' eyeballs without necessarily having to be an in-house designer for a particular line of yarn. You didn't have to get hired by Rowan or by Barocco or by Vogue Knitting or whatever. Here's the really wonderful thing about Ravelry. And we, okay, slight backtrack. We do not have pattern binders in our store. Yeah, that was a very conscious decision. Even though many, many yarn shops still have bookshelves full of pattern binders for you to look through, we felt like since when we opened in 2016, we were not starting with that mountain of paper that we didn't need to. Right. Like we weren't committed to a specific set offering of patterns. And since Ravelry works with yarn shops, patterns are available for you through us. It made more sense to just do things that way. I think most shops that do this have an iPad or have a computer. They have some digital access and customers can browse in the store and then that helps support the shop without necessarily having to have this big outlay of patterns that are potentially outdated. You know, fashion changes. Also, sometimes after you print things, you find mistakes. Right. As a shop owner, let's say we bought 20 copies of a pattern and then eight months later, they notice there's errata. So now we have to go around and staple little slips of paper to all of our copies of the pattern and try to get in touch with people who have purchased it. Like, wouldn't it be nice if there were just a little digital update that could happen? Right. Yeah. Also, sometimes, like, it's a swing and a miss. Oh, right. Like, you know, when you're choosing paper patterns to decide to have in the store, like, from our perspective, maybe I see something and I'm like, Karen, this sweater is going to be hot. I love it. (laughs) Like, I think everyone's going to want to be knitting this. Let's buy 
50 copies of this pattern. People are going to love it. Right. And then I knit it. And no one ever mentions it when I wear it in the store. And no one ever looks at that stack of patterns. And we're just stuck with like a giant pile of paper. I don't know. I just maybe have bad taste. It's hard to say. Well, and I think from the shop owner perspective. So part of what we are doing, and mostly this is Jessica, because she has great love for helping people pick patterns. That's just something she really likes to do. I have like a uh, mental Rolodex of patterns in my head. Right. I don't have that. (laughs) (laughs) I make her pick my patterns. Part of what we are doing as a shop is helping you identify what to make with the yarn that we are selling you. Mm -hmm. Or the yarn that you have at home. Right. We don't care. We just want you to be knitting. Right. True. But if what we have is a binder in front of us full of patterns from 5, 8, 12, 30 years ago, that's limiting what we are able to offer to you. Right. And in some ways, this is a little bit of a two-edged sword. Because we are not familiar with every pat, like the details of every pattern on Ravelry. That is not possible. Right. So sometimes we get people who, you know, they'll buy a pattern from us. And then a month later, we'll get an email that's like, I'm working on this pattern. And on page five in the top right hand corner, there is a little box that says this, what is happening? And so then we have to write back and be like, we're going to need a little more information because we don't have a copy of this pattern sitting in front of mm-hmm. us to go reference. Like you're going to have to give us more context to be able to answer your question. But also we don't have any motivation to push you toward any particular pattern. Oh, right. Like you don't have to knit this sweater because I have a stack of 50 patterns for it. Like, right. I've had this stack of 50 patterns since 1983 and I would really like someone to leave with one of them today. So somebody's making this seamed cardigan whether they want to or not and we do sometimes get in the store people coming in with paper copies of patterns that we can't 100% identify where they came from but they didn't come from us they came from they came from stores that have been around since an era when this was published Mm -hmm. and with those patterns sometimes they're like sometimes they're still really good patterns But I think in the last episode, we were talking about needle choices. Mm -hmm. Circular needles were not invented when some of these patterns were written. There are better ways to make sweaters. There are less seeming intensive ways to make sweaters. There are less irritating ways to make sweaters. There are new kinds of yarn. Like, there's all kinds of things that have changed since some of these pieces of paper were printed. Yes, definitely. Like, pattern writing has gotten more advanced technical editing oh. is so much better much like everything in life over time you want to evolve and fine tune your craft and like as a community we largely have so sometimes looking at patterns from 40 or 50 years ago oh and it happens yeah. oh yeah like someone will come in you know like one of those zipper bags that like a blanket for your bed comes in mm-hmm. like a bedding set often A partially knit sweater from many decades ago will come in in one of those plastic zipper bags with a pattern with an actual photograph, like printed at CVS photograph, taped to a piece of cardstock. 
and the pattern is there and there's maybe like handwritten errata at the bottom. These things are still out there. And sometimes people are like, I I need to finish this before I can pick a new project. But then sometimes people are like, I don't, this is just what I think making sweaters is. And, you know, I got this from my grandma and I want to make it. And we're like, oh, friend, you got that from your grandma. And that's very sweet. But you don't have to make that specific thing if that specific thing is not calling to you. Yeah. Like it's one thing if you're like, I loved this when I was working on it and life got in the way and I put it down. Please help me finish it. It's another thing if you're like, I used to knit and I need to finish my project now so I can do a different thing. Like, do you still want to knit that? Do you want that sweater with shoulder pads you're going to have to set in later? Because <laughs> it exists, you might. And we will help you bring that sweater into the world if you really want to. Oh, sure. But if you don't, we will give you permission if you need an outside person to do that to move on to something else. The other thing about having patterns available digitally is that it opens up more options as far as layout. Mm-hmm. We have a friend in the industry who works for a fiber producer that also has like in-house patterns. And he always refers to these as the $9 rectangles because (laughs) the patterns that the fiber producer makes to go with their yarn, you know, they have this sort of particular size that they want to fit like a physical piece of cardboard. Cardstock. Cardstock. There we go. That they they want to fit the pattern onto. And so that really limits what they can do as far as diagrams or pictures or little helpful asides or whatever. Whereas if you're just uploading a PDF, it can be 26 pages long if it needs to be 26 pages long. The Rain Outside, which is a shawl design that we really like, is, I think, 26 pages long. The first 13 pages is a charted version. And the last 13 pages is a written out version that might be reversed. But it's a miracle. Yeah. And if you were trying to get a pattern publisher to do that, they would be like, "Mm, for price reasons, pick one or the other. And fortunately, Sylvia McFadden has a good sense of like people's styles being different and wants to present this information in two different ways. And it's really functional for people who want to make this design. Yeah. Digital patterns are great. Also, I'm going to circle back to the spilling coffee issue. Oh, yes. Man, I have definitely given up on projects in the past because I had a paper version only of a pattern and I did something horrible to it. Project bags are not necessarily eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper friendly. No. (laughs) My first job out of college, I was a middle school teacher. There were kids. You would hand them a piece of paper. You turn your back, 25 seconds later, that piece of paper is somehow crumpled into a little tube underneath three different books at the bottom of their backpack. How did it happen so fast? I don't know. It just happens. That is also, for me, what happens to patterns in project bags. Like the things that are around them are not square and solid enough to keep that piece of paper functional. Have you seen the inside of my laptop case? Every note that I ever make is like (laughs) crammed in there. It's a paper graveyard. And I'm sure that there are like pieces of patterns that I printed out that are folded into the size of like one of those notes that you used to pass in class, (laughs) like crammed in there. I know there are. 
and maybe I will clean it out at some point, or maybe I won't. Right. Because I have a digital copy. I don't need that piece of paper anymore. It's, a, it's an archaeological record at this point, I think. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's a gentle way to put it. So the other really nice thing about Ravelry, and I'm going to I'm going to do a little aside here. There are some alternatives to Ravelry out there. There are some other venues to get patterns on. Ravelry is huge. It has everything. People have assorted relationships and feelings about Ravelry, but really it is the most comprehensive resource. Yes. For the fiber community, it is the largest index of yarn anywhere in one place. Yes. And it has more patterns in one place than any other source. Like it just does. It's undisputed. Like it has everyone's work there. For a while, and I can't remember what the milestone was that changed this, but for a while it was the single largest community on the internet was the forums on Ravelry. Like it had the largest number of users of any website that existed. And now, you know, there's Facebook and Reddit and I don't know, MySpace probably still. But whoa, (laughs) (laughs) let's say MySpace is the printed, photocopied three ring binder. Three ring binder. (laughs) There's a lot on there. There are so many patterns. And that's great because one of the things Ravelry does really well is make it easy to search and filter all of those patterns. Yes. So you can find patterns all over the internet. You can find them like on yarn brand websites when they have them in-house. You can find them on individual designers' websites. But I don't think that anyone has the filtering capability that Ravelry does. Like if I want to knit a sweater that has bishop sleeves and that has a boat neck and that has cables and brioche like I can get granular and and that is knit held with fingering and mohair together and is three colors or more like I can select all of those things in the advanced filtering system and if there are two patterns on that platform that fit all of those niche indicators I will be able to find them Whereas if I just picked pullover and bishop sleeves, I might have 6,000 patterns to sort through. Like you can get granular on a level that just doesn't exist anywhere else to help you find very specifically what you are looking for. And that's amazing. And it's a great way for, you know, knitters to find what they're looking for, but for designers to be able to tag the really important information that identifies their patterns to make them accessible to the people who will want to knit them. Right. Or crochet them, you know, because there are other, right. other yeah, fiber graphs available there too. And it's, it's a fantastic resource. Yeah. And this is another example of sort of automating work that you would otherwise have to do with your human brain, where like, let's say you want to make socks and you want to make toe-up socks with a flegal heel. You select you know, accessory feet socks, you select, you go to techniques and you do, or I can't, I can't remember now if it would be under techniques or design characteristics, but it would be mm-hmm. one of the two, toe up and flegal heel. And now you're looking at the, I'm going to say six, there's probably more patterns that meet those requirements. And you're not having to go through page after page after page, just scanning for these pieces of information. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't have to do it, but you also have the option 
of just going through page after page after page after page to see if something grabs you Mm -hmm. without killing any trees. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that is actually a new feature to Ravelry that I really am excited about is their debut design Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Which is really great because now I can specifically find patterns that are brand spanking new. Like this is the first thing that someone has published on this platform and it's right there. And some of them are really kind of wacky and funny and others are beautiful. And you are shocked that this person doesn't have like a deep catalog of things like you know, a huge range of things are available there. And you may or may not have noticed them if you were just like browsing through sorted by most popular or, you know, something like that. Like it's a great way to find them. Yeah, that is one of the, I'm not going to say downside, but that's one of the challenges of having what's basically an algorithm that is sorting the patterns is, you know, there's a couple of different ways to sort. You can sort probably alphabetically. You can just sort by new but probably you're either sorting by, I think it's, it's either most popular or like best fit or something like that. And then there's like hot right now. But those are going to push to the top, in most cases, names and, and designs that you've seen before. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, those names and designs that you've seen before, you know, you want to see them again because they've done good work in the past. There are there are people who will frantically knit, and I'm a little bit this way with Isabel Kramer. Isabel Kramer has a new sweater. I know her sweaters fit me really well. I really enjoy knitting them. She does just enough weird stuff with the neckline every time that it's not really the same, like it's not the same knitting experience, which mm-hmm. is nice. So she's usually somewhere on that front page when she puts out a new pattern, but her first pattern sure wasn't, I'm sure. Her right. first pattern was probably somewhere way far, you know, and I might have never seen it. So it's really nice that they're doing this new feature that is sort of like specifically showcasing first-time designers. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Let's see, moving off of Ravelry. Oh, sure. Say maybe I want something tangible. Like I want something to like browse through while I'm sitting on the couch with Charlie, the dog. (laughs) Like we're hanging out and snuggling and having some paper time. Where am I looking for patterns? Like what would be good pattern things to have? I mean, if you other, you're not talking about like designers websites or something like that. You're No, I mean about... like I want to hold something in my hand and look at patterns and where am I doing that now? So there are still public, I mean, there are lots of publications that mm-hmm. are coming out. I really think that publishers are doing a really good job right now with the collections they're creating around these patterns. So we really enjoy, for example, Pom Pom Quarterly. They do their winter design. They've been doing guest editors, I think, in the last year. And the winter issue was guest edited by Amy Giles? Yes. Giles. I don't know if it's a hard or soft G in her last name. Love the enemy. Yeah. And Stephen West. And they came together and curated a collection of like amazing dynamic color work patterns that were super beautiful. And past issues last year, Ocean Rose was a guest editor. And those issues really highlighted that soft, ethereal kind of pastel aesthetic that Ocean has. There was that one issue that was all texture that I actually knit two sweaters out of. I knit a cardigan and a pullover. Right, right. And loved them both. 
yeah, so like they have fantastic like cohesive themes to each issue, but it changes with each one, which is kind of what makes it like exciting and fresh. And there are other like indie publications like Nomadic Knits. Oh, they do cool stuff based on geographical regions. Mm -hmm. So they work with either designs that were inspired by that region or designers that live in the region or yarn that comes from the region. I think their most current issue was Washington State. Mm -hmm. They did one of Vermont, like their second issue ever, I think, was Vermont. Like cool stuff. They do really good work. Yeah. If you are a diverse crafter, like you like sewing and stitching and knitting and crocheting and maybe baking too, (laughs) Making is a great magazine to get you inspired to dabble in all sorts of things. And they also have like really gorgeous photography and like their curation is beautiful. So that's a nice thing to kind of page through. And even if you're not going to make anything, you just feel inspired. Like it's all of that good crafting energy that you want to have coming right off the page at you. Yeah. To kind of loop back, one of the things I really like about Pom Pom Quarterly is that they are intentionally inclusive about who they have not only designing, but modeling the garments in their issues. Oh, for sure. Which is amazing. They have, you know, people with different skin tones and different body sizes and who use wheelchairs and who don't use wheelchairs and who have limb differences and all kinds of like, they really want you to feel like... Seen. Seen, right. Seen, like, this is a craft for everybody. This is a craft that is about making something that fits your body. Here are lots of different bodies, which, speaking of, coming back to Ravelry... Yes. The projects page. Oh, here's the other really great thing about Ravelry. I love the projects page. So when you are looking for a new project to make and you are browsing and you pick a pattern and I'm going to say, for example, like Andrea Mowry designs beautiful things and she's very photogenic and she's got a photographer partner who takes these amazing photos but also what if I want to know what that sweater is going to look like on someone who looks nothing like her is shaped nothing like her because that's not who I am right and what does it look like when I'm curled up on the couch with the dog or what does it look like when I have my arms up over my head The projects pages on Ravelry will show you amazing things. For example, I know in a past episode, we talked about the Sandoval sweater (gasps) that Karen knit with less ease (laughs) than, than the designer called for. And I... And maybe wrong, but I think that you didn't maybe go through the projects pages. Like you just looked at the gorgeous editorial photos of the design and was like, I want to make this. But if you had flipped through the projects pages, perhaps someone had taken a picture wearing that sweater with their arms up or out and you would have seen how the garment moved. Yes. And it would have maybe informed your decision because you would have understood the construction differently, seeing it posed differently than the editorial photos were. Sometimes also people will make changes to the pattern and then that can inspire changes. I'm thinking about your dress. Oh, yes. So I'm knitting the Lotta dress, which is kind of like a tulip-shaped dress. It's got a little like empire waist kind of, but the way that it's designed with the placket front that's effectively a v-neck, 
there's a seam that takes you from reverse stockinette to stockinette. And it's just like a line of purling or something that defines the, the bodice from the rest of the dress. So the designer has this photo shoot with this model that is slim and the dress is oversized on her and uh, she doesn't have a large bust. So it's just kind of like this drapey, like tunic style dress on her. I am shaped very differently from her. So I knew that that's not what the dress would look like on me. And I started looking through the project pages and found that for the people who followed the directions in the pattern as they were written and who had larger chest sizes, that princess seam would like cut across your nipples or sit <laughs> above your bust yeah. in really interesting ways. <laughs> like it's, it's a specific look, but for me personally, it was not the look that I wanted from right. this. So by looking at other people's projects, I thought I need to make some alterations here. So what I did was I extended the bodice. I made my placket v-neck deeper so it's lower cut. And then I put that transition line underneath my bust line. So it's at my under bust instead of halfway up my boobs. Right. And the top fits much better. Like I think I would have been unhappy with how it fit me if I hadn't made those changes. And if I'm knitting an entire dress for myself with sport weight yarn on size three needles, I want to wear it. Right, right. <laughs> I don't want it to be one of those projects where you finish it and you're like, well, that's done. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> like sad trombone. I guess I'm not wearing that. So the projects page was super helpful. And if I hadn't looked at other people's finished garments, I would have not come to that conclusion, perhaps until it was too late. <laughs> and sometimes it isn't something quite that dramatic. It can be like, you want to knit a flax, but you don't want the garter panel on the sleeves. Mm -hmm. And oh, other people have not done that too. It wouldn't have occurred to me to right. not knit it, the garter panel. Or like, oh, this person did something really cute with color blocking by changing skeins or turn, put stripes or whatever. Like it can just be really inspirational to see what other creative people have created. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's a huge resource that pre-internet which sounds like an insane thing to say after <laughs> like a whole, you know, lifetime, generations of having this at this point. But we didn't always. Right. And for many people, you will know that until this existed, you had no way to know what things would look like on other bodies or with changes made. So it's like we are in the golden age, I think, between that and uh, like all of our knitting Instagram accounts. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. We have so much available to us, so much inspiration. The other thing, so I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, sometimes designers will suggest a hashtag for their patterns. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then you can go and look at it on Instagram. Also, if you just aren't on the Ravelry platform or whatever. The other thing you can look in the project notes on Ravelry or in the captions on Instagram to see, because sometimes people will say things like, I'm working on this and the shoulder shaping is really confusing or, you know, whatever. Like they'll mention a problem that they're having with making the garment. And then you can be like, huh, I have a lot going on right now. I don't think I have the bandwidth for some kind of decoding puzzle. 
I am going to save that for my next thing and I'm going to knit myself this other thing instead. Can I give you an example that I saw today on yes. Instagram of that? Uh-oh. So, I mean, not not a problem necessarily, but like creative solutions and changes to a pattern. The Instagram account Books and Cables. And if you don't follow her, go follow it because, A, this person knits so many sweaters and they're amazing and she's like not shy about making changes to them so they fit her how she wants them to. The Stag Head sweater by Nora Gone yes, with which... that amazing cable like stag head on the front of it. So Books and Cables was knitting this sweater, I think had like started it at some point and maybe come back to it. But anyways, in some version of knitting this thing, had lost some of the yarn. Oh, no. <laughs> and was like, well, I'm going to knit it and I'm making changes so that it fits me differently and I have less yarn to work with. So it's a little bit cropped. She changed the shoulder shaping so it fit her shoulders better because the original pattern, the shoulders were too wide for her. Mm-hmm. So she turned it into like a cropped vest with a turtleneck and it's gorgeous like it's wicked beautiful and it fits her amazingly and she was like yeah my circumstances didn't meet up like fit wise or amount of yarn wise because this yarn has gone missing so I changed it and I love it (laughs) and it looked fantastic so yay hive mind yay sharing of information about our knitting journeys because super cool it's super great the other thing is Ravelry has a user generated rating system for difficulty. So it's not the designer saying, this is super easy. All you have to do is keep track of 17 different cables that run in different directions. Like what is super easy for Zandy Peters may not be super easy for you if you're knitting through, for example, a planning board meeting, right? Right. (laughs) So there's a star rating system where Not everybody is going to agree on the difficulty level, but if you get enough data from enough different people's brains, you end in some average. Yeah, an average of how you're likely to experience the difficulty of a pattern. And sometimes, sometimes a pattern is just not your friend, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, we were talking about physical, like publications. Mm hmm. It used to be more common to have books that were put, like Rowan would put out a book that was like patterns you could knit with Rowan. Right. Like um, Jared Flood, Brooklyn Tweed, puts out patterns that are designed for Brooklyn Tweed yarn, but they're sold as individual patterns. Mm-hmm. I think like Hudson and West does the same thing. They put out patterns that are written for Hudson and West yarn. Yep. Blue but Sky Fibers. Patterns, Blue Sky. Harrisville. Harrisville. Yep. Not so much books as often anymore. Right. When would you still want to pick up a book of patterns? So there are lots of, of course, clearly tons of books being published. And I think for me, my favorite books are ones that are not just like, here's a bunch of sweaters, but like about a type of knitting, yes, a technique or a specific collection. Like maybe you do want a book that's like 37 baby hats that you're going to love and knit forever because right. you love knitting baby hats. But perhaps you want a pattern book that is all about color work or the cables. Co- oh, cables, cables like Noragon 
you're a cable hero. Um, (laughs) That's really amazing. Or you want a book that's about like a specific sweater construction. So Julie Weisenberg's book, The Cocoa Knits Workshop book is great. Or books about like specific techniques are wonderful. Or like a some sort of like themed collection that will get you inspired. Yeah. Whether it's like place or fiber or something. Like there are there are lots of great options. And sometimes it's just nice to have physical books. Pom Pom's Knit How, if you're just starting out, is really nice because it's like a few things from most kinds of things you could make. You know, there's mitts and socks and scarves and a couple of sweaters and hats. And it's a good way to like try the common types of of things that you could create in patterns that you know are written for beginners. Mm -hmm. If you are a beginner, are there any designers that you would point people toward? Oh, for sure. So patterns from Tin Can Knits are great. They're written in a wide range of sizes. The tech editing is immaculate. They have great diagrams and they really just spell things out and are accessible to people who are building foundation skills. They have a collection of patterns on their website called the Simple Collection. The last time I checked, it was 12 patterns. It's possible they've added to it since then, but they're free patterns that are designed to help knitters build foundational skills while making garments that you actually want to wear. They have tutorials. Yeah. Like associated tutorials, which is amazing. Yeah. It's a great resource. If you are hat obsessed, Wooly Wormhead has, I don't know, thousands of hat patterns. Oh, not so many. that many. But, <laughs> but, but so many hat patterns. And there are beanies and toques and cloches and tams and all sorts of different hat styles you maybe hadn't even considered or hadn't, didn't know existed. And you can make them all. But the patterns are fantastic. If you are becoming, you know, adventurous as a knitter and you want to make garments that are maybe more fitted or body contouring, but you want them to be available to your specific body, which, you know, could be at any size and our bodies change over time. Jessie May writes amazing patterns that are just fantastic. They are easy to read and work from. She does great little tutorial videos on her Instagram account. So if there's a specific technique used in a neckline or picking up stitches somewhere, you can watch her do that. But her designs are size inclusive. They just look hot on everyone, like everybody. And a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them feature a lot of ribbing. Like I'm thinking about, you know, the ripple crop or the amazing booty shorts, the ripple shorts that so many people have knit. And they they're forgiving like because of that ribbing there's a range of sizes like it's not as narrow as you would think something would need to be like two or three inch size increments on the shifting sizing scale because that ribbing like stretches and moves with your body which is also nice because we all know that our bodies change Mm -hmm. all the time like the way your body measures in february might be different than the way your body is measuring in april And that's normal and healthy and wonderful, but it's nice 
if your Ripple butt shorts fit you in April and in February. Right. Because they probably took you a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And so just as a little bit of an aside, part of what we're recommending here is the clarity of these patterns. Yes. We haven't really talked a whole lot about tech editing. And this is one of those things that the availability of self-published patterns means that not everything you come across is going to be tech edited. Right. So what tech editing is, is just somebody who goes through and they will check the pattern for mistakes. They'll check all the math. Sometimes they'll do grading and sizing. So like More Thunder, she mm-hmm. talks about how, you know, she designs a sweater for herself because that is the body she has the most access to, but she wants it to fit everybody who wants to make it. And so she works with the tech editor to help make sure that, you know, a good tech editor can apply experience to the way body proportions change in any direction. If you're sizing down, some proportions are going to be different. And if you're sizing up, some proportions are going to be different. And tech editor needs to know that and help the designer do that. And a designer's ability to identify and work with a good tech editor is a really important part of their whole process. Yes, their career as a designer. Because there's really nothing worse than you're knitting along and something has gone wrong with your knitting and you don't know if it's you or the pattern. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's super frustrating because you're like, I think I'm following the directions. What if I'm not following the directions? What Mm -hmm. if I can't trust the directions? So these folks, you can trust the directions. What about for somebody who maybe isn't a beginner, but is looking for directions they can trust on maybe building some skills? Sure. So if you want to explore the world of cables, Nora gone. Oh, she's amazing. Every time. Nora's kind of localish to us. She's down in the southwestern New Hampshire area, and I just feel like we have a, a diamond in our mountains here. <laughs> like so much good innovative cable work. And yeah, it's amazing and inspiring. There's also like if you want to explore brioche, like maybe you've had your eye on some of the really big huge like physically enormous brioche shawls that are being written right now and seem to be pretty popular but you've never knit brioche before maybe you want to cut your teeth on a smaller brioche project Lavanya Petricella's brioche pattern writing is fantastic it's very clear and accessible she will hold your hand like not her personally but you know <laughs> like her patterns <laughs> like ferry you through the process of learning one and two color brioche. She's got hats, she's got cowls, she's got wicked cool brioche knee socks that I love them. Yes. I've not knit them, but maybe someday. Dream big. But like she is a fantastic resource. Also, if you go back in time a little bit on her Instagram account, she has tons of fun videos of her kind of like dancing while she knits brioche because that was <laughs> that was a thing. So, I, yeah, high recommend. Specifically on brioche, personally, we would recommend if you've never done it before, try it in the round before you try it flat. That seems a little counterintuitive, but there's less to keep track of in the round, I find. Yeah, you're only going in one direction. Right. You're just going around and then you switch yarn, you go around again. When you're knitting flat, you go in the same direction twice. 
once with each strand of yarn, and then you go back the other way. And as you're like learning to recognize the pattern, you have to keep track of what you're supposed to do next. And it's not foolproof. Yeah, working in the round will help you establish like your brioche rhythm yes. and help you become visually familiar with your stitches so that you're able to read your work and you'll be better prepared to move on to bigger, flatter projects. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I think. So yeah, pattern writing and access to patterns is constantly changing and evolving and it's exciting and there are so many places to get them. Yes. And personally, I'm always excited to help people pick patterns. So this is good. If you need help, you just call me. I mean, don't call <laughs> me, please, ever. No one ever call me. You don't have but a you phone. Can, right. <laughs> but you can definitely send me a message and I am happy to help you. Hey, Jessica, what's on your needles right now? Penguono. <laughs> so much penguono knitting. And I love it. I've got more pictures up on our Instagram at Make Good Pod. Post your pictures and show me. I'm so excited about this. Also, Karen, I've been staring longingly at my project bag where my Tomas sweater lives. Excellent. It still has no sleeves. That's fine. It could be a turtleneck vest. I mean, it definitely can't. It's a super <laughs> deep V-neck. Um, and I've already knit the neckband, so that is what it is. But maybe, if, no, I want a sweater with long sleeves. So I think when Penguono is done, I will resurrect Tomas. But I've been, I've been thinking about it. What's on your needles? Socks. I'm still in the midst of my sock festival. That's I have so been looking cozy. at bringing my cinnabar back, though. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Speaking of brioche, I'm excited about it. It's such a nice project. It's just lovely. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. And while we're talking about what's on our needles, we want to remind you that if you're knitting a penguono with us, with me, on March 6th, it's March of the Penguono. March of the Penguono. So again, the <laughs> knit-along is over. <laughs> but February 1st, the knit-along is technically over. So we will announce the prize winner and get that person their $150 gift card. But March 6th is really like our target goal for being completed with our Penguonos so that we can wear them and participate in the kind of virtual March of the Penguono. If it isn't done, figure out a way to wear it anyway. Oh, yeah. Wear it with your needles on. (laughs) We don't care. We just want to see your projects. Yes. Jessica. Karen. Are you ready? Oh, no. Uh (laughs) We have a letter. I'm I'm listening. letter comes from Christy. I taught myself how to knit about five years ago, and most of my projects have been scarves and shawls in acrylic yarn where blocking wasn't really needed. I started knitting with hand-dyed yarn earlier this year and love it. I recently finished a shawl and tried blocking for the first time. Blocking was easier than I expected, but I ran into issues with color bleeding when I soaked my project. Do you have recommendations on how to avoid this for future projects? I just listened to your All About Blocking episode, and I'm thinking I should have tried steam blocking instead. I've seen suggestions to add vinegar to the soak, 
or use color catchers, but I've read mixed reviews on both. Should I have soaked each skein before knitting? I'm trying to figure out what I should do to avoid heartbreak like this on future projects. Help! So before I let Jessica answer this, we posted the picture that Christy sent us to our Instagram yesterday. You can go see. She did the project that prompted this letter. It was like an alternating red and white hand dyed Mm. and all the white yarn turned pink. Oh, Christy. So you can go see it and feel sad for her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think many of us have been there. Oh, yes. Like, it. you are not alone. And after the fact, there's kind of no real good answer. Like, you can try color catchers if you want to get it wet again. But, like, uh, it depends on the dyes that were used. It depends on the fiber content. It depends on if there was hot water involved at any point. So here's the thing about vinegar. Mm-hmm. Because she mentioned vinegar, and I've heard this before, and I've seen, like, in on boards on Ravelry, people have mentioned things like, you know, whenever I get indie dyed yarn, I soak it in vinegar first. So with acid dye yarn, which is what most indie dyers use, mm-hmm. not natural dyers and not cotton, but most indie dyers of wool, either vinegar or citric acid are used to set the dye. Mm-hmm. I'm Not set the dye, activate the dye. It's the thing that makes the dye stick to the yarn. But they won't do it by themselves. It has to also involve heat for it to work. Right. So putting it in cold water is... Yeah. And probably that's already happened. Like your dyer did their job and died in hot water. So... Yeah. What the, what the bleeding issue generally is, is less an issue of the dye not adhering to the yarn, like not that the dyer didn't use enough citric acid or vinegar and more that some more rinsing could have happened before it was dried and twisted and sent off to wherever you got it from. And sometimes this is not a big deal. Like you've got some indie dyed yarn, hand dyed yarn. It's all the same color, like you're knitting a sweater and there's no color change. Like, eh, if there's some bleed in your in your blocking bath afterwards, who cares? Like you've rinsed it out. That's fine. When you're doing color work, then you maybe need to think about what you want to do to prep your yarn first. So if it's color work with like kind of similar colors or low contrast and there's the possibility of some dye coming off during blocking, you might not care. But if you're going to be knitting like red yarn and white yarn, you should maybe do a little prep work. Like nine skeins out of 10 that you ever work with are not going to release any significant amount of dye. Right. And you could knit with the same dyer's yarn for years and never have that happen. And then one day there's a single skein, like it's a total anomaly. And there's kind of no way to anticipate that other than thinking about the specifics of your project. And if you want to definitely avoid that, what can you do to avoid it? So funny enough, with your red and white yarn example, Christy, one of our regular knitters sent me an email recently saying that she was about to embark on a colorwork sweater project that she had gotten yarn for. The majority of this sweater is white. 
and I think it's the RGB sweater, the Andrea Wrangle pattern. Yes. And the color work in the yoke is going to be red and it's going to be gorgeous. Right. But also I told her perhaps before she starts knitting, she might want to consider giving that red yarn a soak just to see if there is any dye that needs to be released before it's knit with the white yarn so that there's no bleeding after the fact. Because generally, a good rinsing in some wool wash and wa- like cool water is all it should take to get off any like residual dye. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes the agitation of working your yarn mm-hmm. will release dye. So just the act of knitting with your yarn will make the yarn susceptible to bleeding in a way that no amount of pre-rinsing can do anything about. So sometimes it just happens. Right. Like the dyer couldn't do anything to stop it. You can't do anything to stop it. It's It's just just the yarn. Yeah. Living its life. Yep. I definitely had this happen with um, my star-crossed sweater right. that I like struggled through. It was my 2020 struggle sweater for my own reasons. <laughs> but, you know, I did my color work with yarn from Spin Cycle. And Spin Cycle makes little cards that goes with their yarn. Like if you order Spin Cycle from us, we will send you the little card if we have it. We, if we have them left that tells you, you know, Sometimes certain colors are, you know, need additional rinsing. If you're concerned about your color work, give it a rinse before you knit with this yarn. And I definitely did not do that with the skein that I used in the color work of my lovely oat colored sweater. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it wasn't like significant, probably from across a room, no one would even ever notice. But there was definitely a little bit of like yellow dye that bled some and you know what? That's life. At some point, I'm going to spill coffee on it too. And (laughs) I'm going to wear it. We'll see what happens. But yeah, Christy, that's my best advice for you to do a little preemptive rinsing if you're doing high contrast color work to see if you can take care of that before it's an issue. Well, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to our podcast on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. And go find us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. The Penguono Knitalong, the hashtags to follow are MakeGoodStashDown and MakeGoodPenguono. Send us your questions too. You can shoot us an email at DearScratch at ScratchSupplyCo.com and we will read your emails and either email you back or read your question on the podcast and answer you this way and we're always excited to hear from you send us pictures too we love pictures just pictures dog pictures knit pictures we love pictures (laughs) (laughs) we'll see you next week bye-bye